Are you a farmer or dairy business of the future? Then we encourage you to attend our annual Dairy Strong Conference on January 18th through the 19th in Madison, Wisconsin. Dairy Strong brings together a wide variety of management philosophies and shares innovative ideas with forward-thinking farmers and dairy businesses to explore. Registration and sponsorship opportunities are available at dairyforward.com. Early bird registration ends November 1st. Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, an interesting topic and guest today on Dairy Stream. Again, it's a pleasure to have you on board. And I just want to off the top let you know that a lot of this focus will be for those of you in the state of Wisconsin. But some of the issues we're going to cover really will hit all Midwestern and farmers throughout the country. So I think it's an important podcast to listen to. Our guest is Jason Stein. He's the research director at the Wisconsin Policy Forum. Uh, He really focuses on state and local governments out of the uh, Madison office uh, in Wisconsin. He's also well known as a journalist. He worked as the Capitol reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel and also for the Wisconsin State Journal. Uh, He's a well-respected author and has been honored by other journalists uh, throughout the state. So certainly we have a very outstanding guest and we appreciate your time today, Jason. I want to start out a a little bit just so people who are unaware of the organization just kind of give us the purpose behind the Wisconsin Policy Forum. And then if you could just talk about some of the items you're gonna bring to the table today that will deal with the farming community. Sure, absolutely. So thanks for having me first off. Uh, The Wisconsin Policy Forum has been around in one form or another. We We got bigger because of a merger of two different groups in 2018, but both those groups go back to the 1930s and one of them even more than 100 years in Wisconsin. And we're a group of uh, corporations, individuals, local governments, and nonprofits around Wisconsin that we exist to put out uh, factual information about the issues that are affecting uh, you know, the citizens of Wisconsin state and local governments, and to try and, without advocating for one policy or another, to give the kind of information that's going to give lead to better decision making at the state and local level. Okay. And what are some of the issues you're going to bring to the table today that you think the farming community needs to be aware of? Absolutely. At the Wisconsin Policy Forum, we look at uh, state and local finances, education, workforce development, economic development in the state. And so, you know, I'll talk to you a little bit about uh, the state of rural local governments like towns. We can talk a little bit about uh, schools. We can talk. We can go on and talk about uh, roads. Obviously, rural roads very important to the dairy and the farming community in general. Uh, the workforce of our state. What's happening with with taxes and, and and state finances. And then you know maybe we'll have some time to talk about other issues like rural broadband and and so on. 
Okay, great. Uh, again, our guest is Jason Stein, Research Director at the Wisconsin Policy Forum. And let's begin with uh, rural roads, because obviously they're kind of the, the light blood, as you said, for the agriculture, and especially the dairy community. I remember before I retired, there was even kind of a task force looking at you know, what was happening to rural roads and bridges and the importance of keeping those things well maintained. From your perspective, how do lawmakers and the administration really prioritize the transportation budget road funding and local road improvement here in the state? There's a couple things. I mean, I think the first way is through our sort of road system and road funding programs themselves. And then the second indirectly is through what is the health of local governments, uh, towns in particular, but also counties in Wisconsin that have a lot of responsibility for rural roads. In terms of the programs, you know, the state has prioritized funding in recent budget cycles for what in Wisconsin is called our general transportation aids program, which looks at funding for local governments, including towns and counties, and has kind of prioritized the funding for towns. You know, they've also put in to some additional funding into other programs. And what they have done is they took essentially money from income and sales tax dollars and sunk some additional money into the state transportation fund. You know, why would they want to do that? I mean, the, the reason is that we have seen some real funding challenges within that transportation fund. It it has kind of two pressures. One, there's just a lot of infrastructure needs over the past decade and going forward, aging infrastructure that needs to be rebuilt or replaced. And then, you know, the revenues within the fund just are not growing like they did, you know, in the past. It's been in Wisconsin uh, 2005 was the last time we had a gas tax increase. We have, you know, the, it's just a, a flat uh, 30 cent amount on a gallon of gas. Obviously, we have, for a variety of reasons, we just don't have the growth in motor fuel sales that we used to have. We have vehicles, you know, gasoline and diesel vehicles that are becoming more fuel efficient because of federal standards. We have hybrid and even electric vehicles that are becoming more prevalent on the roads. So there's this sort of funding issue in Wisconsin and elsewhere around the country for transportation. In Wisconsin, the reaction of the legislature has just been to take income and sales tax dollars that used to go to schools and healthcare and things like that and put them into, into transportation. You know, that, that has, um, increased funding over the past few budget cycles. I think it's kind of an open question how long we can do that as a state without actually having to address, you know, some of the revenues that have traditionally funded roads. And I think part of that depends on, you know, what lawmakers do with income and sales taxes themselves in the budget, which is which is something we can talk about later. And then the last thing I'll say is, you know, one big area of stress for roads has just been the state of finances of local government. So, you know, towns in Wisconsin have only 25, 28% of the population, but these towns, which we have more than 1,200 of them, have more than 60% of the road miles in the state. And, you know, towns were seeing uh, some stress for them. They, they have um, not a lot of uh, development 
they have pretty strict state limits on their local property taxes. You're seeing rising debt levels for those towns. And we've seen in a report that we put out in uh, May or June, increased, like more of their budgets are going to make debt payments. And as that has happened, we've seen a decrease in their spending on road maintenance and construction, which for towns has been traditionally by a very large margin, their their main priority as a local government. So that's the two things I think to watch is both what happens in the state transportation budget, but then also what happens to these local governments and their finances, because at the end of the day, most of those rural roads are being handled by a local government. Well, you bring up some interesting scenarios, Jason, and really knowing the condition of some of those roads, how, again, important they are to the agricultural community. The fact, as you said, the dollars and cents aren't adding up as far as what's coming in and what's going out. How serious do you see this problem? I mean, I think in Wisconsin, it's it's a real issue to watch, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. I mean, you know, and this will not come as any surprise to your listeners. It's pretty cold in Wisconsin. We have a lot <laughs> yes. of, of snow and ice in the wintertime. And, and they're just, at the end of the day, there is a cost to that. Uh, in addition, and this is something that, again, I think a lot of your listeners would understand, is we have a lot of paved rural roads in Wisconsin. I grew up in Kansas. It's just not like that there, like it is in Wisconsin. I think really historically, my impression is that goes back to the dairy industry and that the fact that getting the milk out on a daily basis is, is not a, it's not an aspirational thing. That's a necessity. So if you look at the cost of, or the spending on both state and local roads in Wisconsin, we're, we're always in the top 10 nationally. And the other top 10 states are states like you know, the Dakotas, you know, uh, Minnesota, states like that. You can kind of sense a theme there, right? And they're states with a lot of rural r- road miles and a lot of cold and snow and ice. And just you can't really get around the fact that that is going to cost you more. Uh, so you have to really be uh, thoughtful as a state about how you are going to, you know, both do the spending and be as efficient as possible and then on the flip side, to, to have some sort of revenue system set up that you can, you know, you can pay for it sustainably. Jason Stein is our guest research director of, at Wisconsin Policy Forum. And as you were mentioning earlier, uh, uh, how we're financing these roads through the, the gas tax, which is kind of a, a user tax with less people, as you said, having uh, driving now because of, you know, since COVID, a lot of people are staying at home and working from home. So they're really not using as much gas. We have more fuel efficient vehicles. You know, how big a problem is this? And I know you did some research in this area. Does less traffic a good thing for agriculture or is this something to be concerned about? I mean, it's a great question. I, I think, I mean, when you're looking at the overall financing of the system, um, you know, it, it really depends. I mean, in some ways, and we have seen this phenomenon of people working from home, um, that may be positive in the sense that we may be able to get away with having, you know, if people are not in rush hour traffic as much, we may be in certain cases able to get by with a with a lower volume road network that is less expensive. So there may be some benefits there. But I think you still we still have to ask ourselves, you know, 
if our if our traditional financing mechanism is people buying gasoline, you know, do we have a long term financing mechanism that's in place? I mean, like right now, um, the state does charge an additional vehicle registration fee for electric vehicles, but right. you know, quite frankly, when when you look at the numbers on that in Wisconsin, at least, it's a hundred dollars a year. It just doesn't make up for the fact that that vehicle has no fuel that it's, you know, fuel tax that it's going to pay or that the owner is going to pay over the course of the year. So, you know, I think there are still things within our system that, you know, right now that's a minor issue because, you know, it's just a small fraction of the vehicles on the road that are electric, but they're, they are growing by leaps and bounds every year. And it's going to be more of an issue going forward. Jason, another thing important to the success of Wisconsin agriculture and really almost agriculture, any state is growing a strong workforce. Uh, is Wisconsin doing enough, in your opinion, to develop a good workforce? I think there, again, we, we try not to, uh, you know, sort of advocate or express viewpoints. But I, I mean, I think it's pretty clear, though, that the state has workforce, really significant workforce challenges. I mean, the first issue is just having a workforce period. I mean, a research group that was started by a former uh, Wisconsin Policy Forum research director who had my position previously, they put out a report uh, earlier this week that estimated that our, our prime working age population in Wisconsin, so that would be people from 25 to 64 years old, that is like it's likely to see that decline by 130,000 over the next decade. You know, I, I don't think that's, you know, we can sort of quibble about what the exact number is, but, you know, we know that uh, our birth rates are, are way down in Wisconsin and around the country. We know that in Wisconsin, we just have very lackluster in migration. You know, typically in a given year, you know, we're, we're losing uh, a little, a few more uh, workers than we're gaining from other states. And so, you know, if you think of, so that's our first problem is, you know, how are we going to either, uh, you know, and in the short term, you know, boosting our birth rate doesn't help us. I mean, you know, that's something that 20 years from now, but in terms of the next five years, you know, we, it's really a game of can we attract more workers to come and live in the state? So that's sort of our first challenge, and we can talk about that. And then our second is, you know, if we're going to have fewer workers, then they need to be more productive to make up for the fact that there are fewer of them. And so we have to think about, you know, the whole range of education, whether that's, you know, apprenticeships, whether that's, you know, two-year uh, technical college type degrees, whether that's four-year bachelor's or master's or PhDs, you know, we need to be doing more at all levels of the education system to ensure that we have, you know, engineers, carpenters, welders, teachers, uh, nurses, you know, the gamut. And I, I think, you know, we could talk about individual areas, but particularly in terms of investing in uh, a whole range of post high school education, you know, I think there's areas where we've, we've fallen behind compared to other states over the past, you know, 10, 20 years. Jason Stein is the man you're listening to, research director at Wisconsin Policy Forum here on Dairy Stream. And if we can, let's just take the, the next step on uh, your last response, and that is that post uh, high school education. 
by your research or what you're looking at, what are some of the avenues that can, you know, bring more interest, maybe bring more dollars so that we have the kind of qualified workforce we need? Exactly. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it first off, it does start, you know, even prior to the graduation from high school for it starts with ensuring that people in you know, elementary all the way through seniors in high school get a solid education that prepares them for their next step, whatever that is. And and clearly we have a lot of ways in which uh, we're not educating all of our students across the state to that level. You know, once once you get past high school, you know, we see, I think, one disparities in, you know, we, we see a troubling drop in post-secondary enrollment Right. Uh, so we see as the rates of students that are enrolling in a two year or four year college are lower today than they were, you know, several years ago. I think that's troubling because we know the need for that level of education has, in, you know, no way diminished. You know, and I think even just looking at, at other things that are, you know, uh, like apprenticeships. Um, you know, we're looking at, at, at some numbers in the, the city of Milwaukee, for instance, that we've, while we've done, you know, for some uh, racial and ethnic groups like Latinos done a, 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 a better job of increasing the share of, uh, you know, young people that go into trades like construction. You know, there are other uh, groups like African-Americans in the in the Milwaukee area that are still you know, not increasing their their participation, even though we know that we need uh, construction workers for, you know, addressing a lot of, of the needs we have for housing and infrastructure. So, you know, at the if we're talking about the state's higher education system, you know, our funding for uh, technical college and, and, and four-year universities in the state has not kept pace with uh, the nation over the past decade, uh, our investment in um, uh, student financial aid has uh, not kept pace as a state with, with with other states nationally. And so I think that's something that we are, we have to watch carefully because, you know, we know that right now we don't have in all the areas that we need uh, enough skilled workers and, you know, we have every reason to think that that problem is going to get worse rather than get better. So one more follow up on that, especially looking at the tech school, those apprenticeships. Is this a case or in which we can start plugging in those holes, providing the dollars, giving more opportunities? Or is this something we're not even close to? Certainly higher. I mean, given that the state's budget is in very strong shape, um, higher education is not, you know, the most expensive thing out there. You know, if you compare it to K-12 schools or you compare it to, say, you know, law enforcement or some of the other public functions that we have, higher education is a little more manageable as a cost um, because, you know, it's something that we're doing for people for a very pretty limited period of time, you know, from, you know, anywhere from one to four years, typically five years. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that makes it a little more uh, manageable. I mean, the other thing I think we have to think about as a state is, you know, this is an investment um, that we're making and, you know, it's an investment that we can get a payoff of, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, depending on, you know, that individual worker. So, you know, that's the good news is that, you know, there really is a return on our investment 
if we can make the sacrifices you know we need uh, in the short term to get there. Excellent point. Jason Stein is our guest, Research Director at Wisconsin Policy Forum. And Jason, before we take our first break here on Dairy Stream, something you mentioned earlier, and I know you're a transplant, started in Kansas, came to Wisconsin. You had mentioned we need to attract many people from outside the state. Where's the answers there? Where's the solution to get more people, more of our workforce from out of Wisconsin's borders? You know, it's such a great question. Um, I mean, I think the thing that we have to offer as a state is, you know, we have a pretty good environment to uh, raise children, which is something that many people in their prime working age are thinking about and doing. So, you know, we have pretty good schools. We have, you know, a pretty good quality of life. We have a lot of outdoor recreation in the state. Uh, We have a relatively manageable cost of living uh, for families. So those are some of the things that we can uh, tout on on the regional and national level. And we do see, you know, in this research that I mentioned from a group called Forward Analytics, they do point out that we do better in attracting families uh, at those ages. You know, I think, you know, in a state like Wisconsin, you're always going to be better off thinking about how can we retain the people that we have right now who are in Wisconsin at this moment, as opposed to, you know, trying to poach people from Florida or someplace like that. You know, the other thing that we can think about is we have strong institutions of higher education, like the University of Wisconsin. And so, you know, that, that in my case, uh, I did come here as a student and, and stayed. And, you know, every student that comes here, that, that is a possibility for us, right. That they come in from out of state and we, you know, try to make sure that they stay here. Um, because I think it's like anything in business, right? It's easier to retain a customer than to than to attract a new one. So, I mean, I think that is a good place to start in terms of thinking about the policies. But it's it's not an easy question, right? Because, you know, where you live is is a really uh, fundamental and, and difficult thing to change. And so, you know, it really is something that there's no, I, I don't think, any magic, easy solution to, although, I mean, we've, we have seen, you know, some state and local governments try things like that, you know, try and worker incentives and things like that to try and engineer it. That's Jason Stein. I'm Mike Austin. In our next segment of Dairy Stream, it'll be taxes, technology, and the budget. So please stay with us here on Dairy Stream. And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Compeer Financial is the leading financial service provider for agriculture and rural communities. We serve the needs of farmers and neighbors with local offices in Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. To learn more, visit Compeer.com or contact us at 844-426-6733. Trademarks of Compeer Financial, an equal credit opportunity lender. Well, Dairy Stream is brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. I'm your host, Mike Austin, and with us today is Jason Stein, Research Director at Wisconsin Policy Forum, as we talk about some key issues for those of you in the farming community. And we had talked in the first half about uh, roads, workforce, and even tied in a little bit about education. This time around, we're going to talk about something that everyone looks at, and that is taxes. So, Jason, I want to ask you, you know, when you talk about 
about the need for taxes and helping uh, rural towns and counties. When we talk about proposed tax cuts, uh, property taxes and tax reform, I mean, what kind of impact could that really have on our agricultural community? Well, that's a, that's a great question, Mike. I mean, I think the first thing to, we can talk about, you know, what what some of the tax proposals that we might see uh, in the next the next state budget in Wisconsin might look like. And then we can we can talk a little bit about uh, the state's finances and why things might be the way they are. So uh, just to give a preview, the state is in a really good shape financially, probably the best shape in it in at least a generation, if not longer than that. So there's the real possibility of significant changes on either in terms of tax cuts or new spending. Um, both of the candidates for governor have talked about two potential changes, although they approach them differently. One is some kind of a significant income tax cut. Right. And uh, that would really vary, obviously, between the two different candidates for governor in Wisconsin. We could talk about that. But they both talked about that. And then something that I think they both also talked about is uh, eliminating something called the personal property tax in Wisconsin. That is prop. That's a tax that's paid not on your building or land, but on certain other like machinery or equipment. I don't think there would, to my knowledge, be any impact on to agriculture in Wisconsin from that. I think most of the that sort of personal property would have been exempted over the years already in that case. Uh, so no uh, direct impact there. Um, you know, I think as far as, you know, the impact of the income tax cut, you know, that is, again, I think more of the overall state's tax climate mm-hmm. than it is some specific impact to agriculture. Obviously, as I think a lot of your listeners know, in Wisconsin, uh, we have a tax credit that goes income corporate and individual income tax credit for the proceeds from farming and agribusiness is already in place. You know, I think that tax credit already means that, you know, income from, you know, agricultural activities in Wisconsin is already on a a little different footing than it would be in, you know, many other states uh, in the country. So that's, that's all sort of the bottom line. In terms of the income tax cut, you know, it varies from a series of more targeted cuts that Governor Tony Evers, who's a Democrat, has proposed to, you know, on the Republican side, we've really seen a lot of talk about putting in place uh, a flat income tax in Wisconsin. Right now we have a, compared to other states, relatively progressive income tax, where if you have more income, you pay on at least part of that income, pay your taxes at a higher tax rate. This would be, uh, you know, a proposal that would uh, flatten that state income tax. So everybody would pay a similar rate. You know, a question about that is if, the state increases our sales tax rate to try and make up for the revenue we would lose by flattening the income tax. Right. You know, the impact of that to any particular individual 
or, you know, whether they're a farmer or an accountant or whoever is going to vary, you know, it's, it's going to be something that is typically going to be more favorable for someone at a higher income level, though, because of the fact that right now we have those higher tax rates on those individuals. Right. So if I'm someone in the farm community looking at both the governor and the man that wants to be governor, their position, their proposals, do they end up getting us in the same place of in the farming community or does one have a little bit of a better outlook? Right. And I think the other thing to think about, you know, so one is just, okay, how does this affect me personally? Or, you know, if I'm, if, you know, a lot of your listeners may have, you know, a farm that's built, that's, structured as an LLC or something right. like that. And they're, they're paying individual income taxes. You know, they're essentially paying their business taxes, business income as on the individual income tax. So that's one thing for them to think about. The other thing I think is to think about, you know, the overall local institutions that are important to them, whether that's their local school district, you know, their town, their county government, you know, what are the local services that they need? You know, how adequate do they see the funding for those services right now? You know, and, you know, what is the overall state system? It is a case that a lot of income and sales tax dollars, both in Wisconsin, get passed on by the state to schools and local governments. So, you know, maybe in the realm of 50% of the state's general fund, give or take, is actually going out to schools and local governments in Wisconsin. So, you know, there's sometimes a, a conception that the state government, most of what it spends is on its bureaucracy. You know, that, that's really not the case. Most of it is getting passed on to somebody else, whether it's a nursing home or a town or a school district. And so then, you know, that's the other thing to think about is, are they, are your listeners comfortable with the level of funding that would remain for, you know, those institutions under, you know, whatever proposals put forward? Now, as you mentioned, it looks like a pretty nice uh, budget surplus. Some are estimating it could surpass $4 billion. We remember, at least I do, when, you know, that seemed like a pipe dream to be that strong. And there's talk yeah. about, you know, having some additional spending, doing whatever with the surplus. Is this something that you guys have kind of researched? Is it a good idea to spend that surplus? And if so, in what areas? Otherwise, should they be spending the surplus? And this has been remarkable, you know, time after time, our state revenue estimates have been revised upward. So, you know, we did a $1 billion income tax cut in the current state budget, $1 billion a year. And we really expected to have our overall state tax collections go down significantly because of that, right? No, <laughs> shocker, right? But collections have been so strong that we really didn't see the impact from that uh, income tax cut two year, you know, that was that was approved two years ago that we or, or rather last year that we expected to see. In fact, the, right now our, our projected surplus is is more north of five billion, and in addition we have almost you know 1.7 billion in a rainy day fund. So the wow. state has really, yeah. Uh, it, it is eye popping. Now, I think the one thing I will, and, and that is clearly more than the state needs to have. And I think it's appropriate for the state to think about how do they return some of that money to citizens, either in the form of lower taxes or, you know, 
uh, increased spending on some project or service. The one thing I would caution, though, is we are in a world of 9% inflation. Yep. Uh, right now, 8 to 9% inflation. So, you know, some of that increase in state tax collections, you have to see in that context. And, you know, whether it's the cost that our nursing homes have or our schools or local governments, you know, they haven't been standing still. So I think, you know, that is, that is something to think about. You know, I think when we were seeing really strong tax growth and 2% inflation, you know, like we were seeing in 2019 and the first part of 2020, right. that was a little different than having, you know, yes, we are seeing really strong tax growth, but some of that is just simply, you know, sales tax collections are going up because, you know, what you pay at the restaurant uh, or what you pay for, you know, a uh, back to school clothing for the kids is just cost more. Yeah. Jason Stein is our guest, research director at Wisconsin Policy Forum. I hate to cut you kind of short there, but I see we only have about four minutes of your time left. And there's just two quick things I want to get to. Obviously, we all know how important broadband access and high speed Internet is to the rural communities. First question is, you know, what efforts are state budget writers kind of engaging in to make sure we're going to have high speed access to all Wisconsin businesses, even those in the rural areas? And then if you just piggyback to that, what other themes or issues do you feel are going to drive the next state budget? So first on rural broadband, we have seen the state put both some of some of its own surplus and some of this incredible influx of uh, federal funding that you've seen during the pandemic into uh, broadband expansion efforts in the state. I think you will probably see that continue in the next state budget, and I think that's an important thing to watch. I think it's also important to, for people to watch how the state is spending that money. You know, for instance, are is the state going to try and expand competition among broadband providers, maybe in some parts of the state where there already is service and there are quite a few residents, but there really isn't much competition? Or is the state going to try to actually extend service, you know, broadband service for the first time to, you know, rural or sort of very distant suburban areas of the state that don't have it at all right now? And so, you know, some of those decisions that policymakers are making are as important as how much money is being spent. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, I think it's important to watch both the overall funding, but then how the money's really being used. As far as other themes in the next state budget, a big one that we haven't talked about will be what happens with uh, private voucher and independent charter schools. Yeah, sorry, um, I couldn't get that one. <laughs> yeah, but that's that, you know, uh, candidate Tim Michaels, who's a Republican nominee for governor, has talked about really wanting to expand uh, that network of schools in the state. That's a, you know, obviously the current governor, Tony Evers, does not want to do that. It's a major difference between the two candidates and an important thing to watch in the next state budget. Well, we certainly will. Again, we thank you ever so much, uh, Jason Stein, Research Director at Wisconsin Policy Forum. We appreciate his time, his candor, his insight on all the topics we covered today. And maybe hopefully we can get him back and get into a couple other issues that uh, might determine just how you vote when it comes to November. And also looking forward to future trends in uh, what's going on in Wisconsin that'll be covered by the Wisconsin Policy Forum. My thanks again to Jason. Uh, My thanks to our producer, editor, and farm writer, 
podcaster, Joanna Guza, who does such an outstanding role in making Dairy Stream flow so smoothly. And of course, we always thank you for your time and insights and looking at some of the challenges and opportunities keeping the dairy industry vibrant both today and into the future. Thanks again for joining us. Till we talk again, I'm Mike Austin for Dairy Stream. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us podcast at dairyforward.com. 